The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. It's time for our Monday expert slot, and joining me now is Lucy Wolf, a sleep consultant and author of the best selling book, The Baby Solution, Baby Sleep Solution. Uh, thank you very much for joining us from Republic of Work, Lucy. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well. If you've got questions for Lucy, get them to us now on 53106 at a cost of 30 cent. Now, um, the terrible twos, let's start there. Why should their sleep be more disturbed than anybody else's? Uh, Well, I suppose, you know, we often talk a lot about baby sleep and we forget sometimes that some of the baby sleep problems don't necessarily go away or very often because there's such a huge amount going on for a child as they begin to turn two and beyond, their sleep often can become disturbed. And I just thought it was a good opportunity to maybe talk about that um, so that some parents who are experiencing that begin to understand that it can be typical um, for this age range and that there are some specific reasons behind it. And then, of course, more importantly, what we might be able to do to begin to help improve the sleep experience. Now, obviously, if they obeyed your instructions before the child reaches two, (laughs) they might have this problem. But what are the specific things about the the two-year-old toddler that's going to um, lead to broken sleep? Well, I think that even if you've been practicing positive sleep, um, you know, experiences until now, you still may find that due to like emotional neurodevelopmental adjustments that your toddler is experiencing, you know, for example, you know, language, greater language, better sense of self, we may, of course, start to see a disruption anyway. And then there are other reasons like, for example, at this age group, we might start to see your child being able to stay awake longer. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we often hear about resistance resistance to the bedtime and it is just literally about understanding that the wake profile now might become more and as a result bedtime may have to be addressed a little bit later so that we can take that resistance out of their sleep experience yeah. um, so just knowing that first of all can help and then we see the flip side of that where very often this age range might even go on a strike a nap strike um, and that means that, that your reliable napper may start to resist the nap and we often see this around age two and sometimes parents feel that this indicates the end of daytime sleep and most children will probably still nap until closer to three and of course there are exceptions to that but often this strike happens and we just continue to offer a nap around the time that the nap would normally happen or maybe even look at doing a nap in alternate locations like using the car or the buggy and very often that nap strike will end after a couple of weeks and then you'll have and look forward you can look forward to longer um you know, months of still of your still napping child. Now, what about uh, separation anxiety? You know, where the child doesn't want the parent to leave; they want you to mm. sing to them, read to them, hold their hand, all of that Absolutely. kind of stuff. Yeah, and you know, we're very familiar with that concept in the first year of life, you know, where your child can often develop what they often refer to as, you know, like a stranger anxiety um, around the nine-month mark. And again, we see that surge sometimes again around 12 months and we see it again around the two-year mark. And again, your typically independent child may start to express, you know, fears and anxieties about being left on their own or not wanting to have the light turned off. And again, these are all really typical 
historical developmental landmarks and milestones and really it's about how we respond to our children where we help them process you know as they start to piece things together that we help them to understand and we look towards you know the those processes around sleep times that they're very predictable so again we can help your child feel confident and again we can help them also to address you know the fears of being left on their own and if they want you to stay that you would help them to mm. you know by staying and then maybe phasing yourself out later on just acknowledging that it's not an unusual uh, dynamic to experience around this age group now uh, the the question of distraction um, kids have begun to entertain themselves with uh, all sorts of toys, but also screens and telling a child, you know, the telly's over or uh, the way you could saying children's television is now finished for the day. It never finishes when you've got a tablet. I know. And again, you know, I suppose that it's they, our children are what I might, you know, we describe as being digital natives. So they're growing up with, you know, multimedia exposure in a way that, you know, previous generations have not. And again, we can use them effectively. They can be great learning tools and also they can be great distraction, as you say, sometimes. And again, just around the sleep piece, it is just about having that kind of loving boundary about making a decision. Like from a sleep hygiene perspective, we probably do try to avoid, you know, electronic media's um, exposure an hour or two before bedtime because we know that it can stimulate the waking part of the brain. It can make it more difficult for them to get to sleep. And of course, we have all these other outside dynamics that may be having an impact as well, like, you know, not wanting to be on their own now or not being tired enough. So again, just kind of having that, that you know, you as the parent do have an element of, um, you know, authority around what's appropriate, when you're going to use it and how long you're going to use it for. Lots of parents report that the screen, you know, the tablet might help um, wind them down. Mm. And I understand that to be very typical, but often then what it does is it has a negative impact somewhere else in the, in the bedtime routine. So just kind of replace screen time with you know quiet uh, connect to time like kind of graduating away from it using you know puzzles colouring and you know then integrating some of that into the bedtime routine as well Now the questions are pouring in how do you get a six year old to sleep beyond 5.15am he's always been an early riser has a good bedtime routine and is in bed by seven usually asleep by half seven it's not possible due to working parents to do bed any earlier very happy clever child so it doesn't seem to bother him just his parents like if he's getting 10 hours sleep maybe that's enough for him yeah, and I would share your opinion there um, as well, Pat, that, you know, often we would use mood and behaviour as a very good yardstick in terms of is your child getting enough sleep? Obviously, there are general recommendations for certain age groups, but I'd like to try and work on the individual child themselves. And if this child is, you know, going to bed at a reasonable time and they are and going as early as that they can manage and he is routinely and reliably sleeping to around 5.15 and isn't then dis- displaying tired signs or emotions emotional outbursts maybe as a result of not getting enough sleep it is possible that um, this is what he needs and he's filling his sleep need and what parents could maybe look at doing is you know what could he do to occupy himself Mm -hmm. for a certain amount of time in the early morning that would maybe not disturb the adults and only the parents themselves would know what feels right around that Um, some adjustments that I often make though when I am exploring an early rising tendency is just to make sure that there's no drink around bedtime itself like a drink of water or a sippy cup of water 
whereas often, and it sounds a bit strange, yeah. but sometimes that can be one of the ind- or one of the cause factors of early waking. So if there was a drink as part of the bedtime, they could maybe look at changing that, or maybe, like I say, look at ways of um, helping him to st- occupy himself for you know a little bit of time that feels appropriate. Next as well. one: How do I stop my eleven-month-old waking every night for three hours? And it's like EBF baby is that early breastfed baby? I'm not it's sure. Yes, yeah, exclusively breastfed baby. Exclusively um, breastfed. Yeah. So waking up in the overnight period for an extended length of time, if it happens all of a sudden, so let's say your child is reliably sleeping and then all of a sudden they start waking for a long period of time, I would normally kind of assign that to maybe a developmental uh, milestone uh, and then that's going to pass. So no no intervention required. But if it's going on routinely, I start to look at the reasons behind that. One of the reasons behind it can be a dynamic, a nap dynamic throughout the course of the day. And what I mean by that is maybe an imbalance of daytime sleep, which sometimes means either the first nap is top heavy and the second nap is leaner than the first nap, which creates an imbalance, which means that even the best uh, timed bedtime still means your child is a little bit overtired going to sleep at bedtime which causes this effect of a split night. So I definitely have a look at nine, 11 months, you know, like a you know a balance between the first and the second nap with ideally the second nap maybe longer than the first even though the first nap is generally preferred by this age group. So I might look at um, doctoring the length of the first nap and promoting the length of the second nap which ideally is an hour plus in duration and also taking a uh, the nap up to about 3 or 3.30 in the day and then complementing that with maybe a three to four hour wake profile before bedtime. So I suppose I'm trying to align the day from a sleep perspective but I also need to pay attention to you know what's happening during the day from both a feeding perspective and activity a sensory diet perspective as well and then the other piece of the puzzle might be what is what does the what does the 11 month old need to get to sleep at bedtime yeah. itself and if the bedtime is quite parent assisted this could be another reason why the night waking is happening and so we might begin to introduce a sleep learning exercise at bedtime and then also into the overnight period as well. My son is almost three. We recently transitioned him from cot to a cot bed. He was previously an excellent sleeper, slept 10 to 12 hours, self-soothing if he woke up. He's now refusing to stay in the cot bed. Bedtime can take up to two hours with him, walking out of the bed multiple times. He also wakes and gets out of bed during the night. What can I do to help him sleep better? He's tired during the day day because of this unsettled sleep. Oh, and it's so disappointing, isn't it, that you have your reliable sleeper and then you make a typical transition from cot to bed, which is about right around three plus. Normally, I like to make this transition, A, when they're reliably sleeping, B, when they're three plus and they have been toilet trained, and sometimes as well when they've already dropped their nap. So the only point of contact that we have you know, to worry about is bedtime itself. Now everything's gone off track. It's just a case of getting back on track. And to do that, I might introduce you know, a really gentle sleep learning exercise. But to help, I might make some big adjustments around the time we start bedtime. I'll assume because he's three, he's probably not napping at the moment and he might have had a light, later bedtime when everything was working. But now we might look at doing starting a bedtime quite early, you know, maybe 6.30 or so and creating a definition between the, the, the bed and the preparation for sleep. So whilst you would want the bedtime routine to happen in the bedroom itself, but that it happens in a separate space. So we don't confuse expectations around what happens in the bed. So we create a definition between the bedtime routine and the preparation piece 
piece and then going to sleep. So it's visual. So maybe a rug on the floor, cushions, um, fairy lights. And in this space, we'll go in and we'll get him dressed for sleep and we'll give him at least a 20 minute bedtime routine and then escort him over to his bed and, you know, get him to climb in. And of course, because he's got to learn how to stay in the bed, I might put the parents beside the bed in order to help him to do that. Because what's happened here is that when he's no longer in a cot and confined, for want of a better description, he's mobile now. He gets out and then it turns into a kind of like a jackrabbit dynamic. So if I put the parent next to him, he then is supported to stay in the bed by the parent's presence. So this is my stay and support approach, Pat, where it helps parents transition away mm. from some of the challenges that they might be experienced. It's staged based. So I might stay beside the bed for about seven days. So what I'm doing there is I'm going to help him stay in the bed, feel safe and secure in the bed. And I'm also going to reestablish his actual natural bedtime. And when that begins to settle down, I can then start to move away from the bed incrementally, maybe three nights into the middle of the room, three nights into the doorframe and beyond. Now, two uh, similar complaints. We are co-sleeping with our 14-month-old. However, he wakes frequently. No indigestion or teething pain we can identify. Any ideas? And another one, my 16-month-old still in bed with us, wakes every two hours or so and breastfeeds, has started waking every half hour uh, when initially goes to sleep for the first few hours. Bedtime never worked at 6.30, more successful at 7.30, takes a nap of one and a half in a day and wakes late in the morning. So that business, co-sleeping and waking the parents up as well as himself. Yeah, and I actually met a lovely lady just a couple of minutes ago and she's sharing the bed with her baby, her two-year-old, and they sleep all night and she's really happy. And I just said, look, we do whatever works. So if they're bed sharing or co-sleeping and everyone's getting rest, that's amazing. It's a beautiful, connected way to sleep. However, a lot of the parents that I work with obviously are in the same position as this 14-month-old and 16-month-old. And again, it's about making decisions about what you want and where you want your child to sleep. But also it's about like having a rhythm to the day. So some of what you mentioned there was, you know, going to bed a little bit later 7.30 which is perfect however waking late which throws the context of the day a little bit of the circadian rhythm really which deeply influences how children experience their sleep so the first things I ever look at is you know regulating you know how they experience their day I'm a big advocate of a a regular wake time probably no later than around 7.30am and then of course I'm looking to attune to you know their sleep language are they showing me tired symptoms and when and then trying to you know offer naps throughout the course of the day both of those children may still need two naps in the day rather than one and of course if it is a single nap that the child might need then that single nap ideally is as late in the day as possible so 1pm or so and then of course we might need to look at how they get to sleep so if they are bed sharing overnight they may of course be going to sleep in the bed um, from at the very start of the night or they may be being rocked to sleep or something along those lines. Whereas if we're trying to establish cot sleep and that's what the parents want, again, identifying that for a child, helping them spend time in the bedroom, playing with them in the cot, introducing the cot and helping them feel safe and secure in the cot, nothing to do with sleep. And then we begin a process of introducing a calm, logical and linear bedtime routine and then helping them get to sleep in right. the cot. And again, I would use the stay and support stay approach. Stay and support. Bedtime Hopefully and it'll work in seven days. Anyway, we have to leave it there. Lucy Wolf, sleep consultant, author of the best-selling book, The Baby Sleep Solution. Uh, thank you very much for joining us from Republic of Work. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.